1690 AM Riverside, Iowa, and around the world on the Stardust Radio Network. www.stardustradio.com This internet station sounds great on your computer, but wouldn't it be even better if you could take it with you wherever you go? Now you can. This station is proud to be affiliated with the Mobile Broadcast Network, brought to you exclusively by XS Voice. They make it possible for you to hear your favorite internet station anytime, anywhere, on your cell phone. To get connected, go to www.mymbn.com and listen to internet radio on the go. Is life moving too fast? If you're self-employed or a small business owner, you have no choice but to move as fast as you can. Sometimes you move so fast you don't take a close look at life's details. When was the last time you looked at your health insurance? If you don't have health insurance or if you have the wrong coverage, serious medical bills could mount up. That's where the Mega Life and Health Insurance Company comes in. We provide affordable health insurance for the self-employed and small business owners. If you don't have health insurance, call us. If you have coverage, call in. Anyway, see if we can give you better coverage at a better price. Stay on track for affordable health insurance designed specifically for the self-employed and small business owners. Call 877-735-6460. That's 877-735-6460. Home office located in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Not available in all states and benefits may vary by state. Association membership may not be required to obtain insurance. Call 877-735-6460 for details. Climate change could affect our way of life. Reduce your greenhouse gas emissions and help control climate change. Visit www.vcr-mvr.ca. Brought to you by the Voluntary Challenge and Registry, Climate Change Central, and this radio station. And now live from Riverside, Iowa, the future birthplace of Captain James T. Kirk of the USS Enterprise. Another episode of Wake Up USA, a UFO study. Your host this evening, Joe Montaldo. Good evening and welcome to another episode of Wake Up USA, a UFO study, a Stardust Radio production now being broadcasted live on SRN 1690, Riverside, Iowa. Welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you all are enjoying y'all's morning, afternoon, evening, wherever you may happen to be on our beautiful blue planet. I'm your host, Joe Montaldo. Tonight our guest is going to be Avis Ruffy, I think. I will ask her the correct pronunciation when she gets here. We're going to be discussing Betty and Barney Hill. She had done uh, the last interview with them. It's a very interesting interview. I did watch it myself. Uh, if you get a chance to pick it up, it's worth watching. Uh, I do have a lot of questions about Betty and Barney Hill. I don't necessarily agree that they are alien abductees. Um, I'm still kind of leaning towards the mill lab thing myself. But that is something we'll discuss later in the show. Uh, a couple of things that's been bothering me. Ladies and gentlemen, now, you know, Wake Up USA is not a political radio show. It's, it's a ufology uh, research-based show, but did y'all watch the news? No more hapheus corpus. I'm still in shock over that one. Uh, I have to say, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of like, you know, I'm a Bush supporter, by the way, and I'm not um, too proud to say it, but after yesterday, I might have to rethink that. That's just kind of a little, um, hmm, I don't like my rights being messed with. I just wanted to mention that to the people who may or may not have heard this in the last couple of days. You need to pay attention to this, America. Wake up, smell the coffee, and know you're being turned into a totalitarian state. Anyway, enough about that. A couple other things I wanted to talk about. Um, uh, 
it's been very interesting lately watching things unfold in the ufology community as far as uh, what kind of research is being done, who seems to be pertinent, uh, whose research is, is good, whose research isn't good. I noticed today I was listening to an interview with uh, Ann Druffel, and then I listened to an interview with Paula Harris. What I found interesting about that is things that we have discussed on this show for the last three years that I've been here uh, that are archived. I noticed that these people are now talking about this stuff like it belongs to them. This is iCar material, ladies and gentlemen. I don't mind sharing, but I would at least like the organization and the people who work for the organization to get credit for this research because, I mean, come on. We're out there busting our hump and other ufologists is going to use that. That's not going to work. So I just wanted to tell you all that. If you, if you, most of you all are quite familiar with iCar's work. Most of you all are quite familiar with the abduction research we do. Um, if you are out there and you are attending a conference and you are in the middle of something and you do hear someone spouting off our numbers or our information, you need to let me know. You can find me at ICAR1, I mean ICAR at Cox.net. Uh, I am very curious because I don't like people uh, using my material without permission. I don't mind them using it, I just would prefer that they had permission. Uh, it would make me feel a lot better, especially if they're going to use it on places like uh, George Norrie's show. I would just feel a little bit more comfortable about that. But, you know, I just had to say that I had to get that off my chest, ladies and gentlemen. It's one of the things that bothers me. Um, you know, we, we do a lot of hard work for a lot of people. And, you know, I don't like our investigators and our team's members not getting credit for the work that they're doing. Uh, but Jess informed me that we have D. Andrews in the queue. So, D, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Uh, okay, ladies and gentlemen, Dee's going to be bringing us through the news this evening. So, Dee, the floor is yours. Thank you, Joe. I... Starting off this evening with a UFO report from Israel. It was reported that a strange object was spotted in the Tel Aviv skies Thursday afternoon by three roommates standing on their terrace. The three told Ynet that they suddenly saw a flash of light across the sky as they were standing on their terrace located on Rothschild Boulevard. We suddenly saw a strip of bright, <clears throat> excuse me, bright light flying downwards, said Laura, one of the three roommates. There was a sense of something supernatural happening. I have never seen such a thing, she added. The three testified that the unidentified object didn't make a sound, and it re remained in the sky for about 15 minutes. They said it was orange at first, and then it turned white. Um, from the Lawrence Livermore Laboratories, scientists from the Chemistry, Materials, and Life Sciences Directorate, at the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory, in collaboration with researchers from Dubna, the Joint Institute for Nuclear Research in Russia, have discovered the newest super-heavy element, element 118. An experiment conducted in the JINR U-400 cyclotron between February and June of 2005, the researchers observed atomic decay patterns or chains that established the existence of element 118. The results were published in the October 2006 edition of the journal Physical Review C. The experiment produced three atoms of the element 118 when calcium ions bombarded a californium target. The team then observed the alpha decay from element 118 to eliminate element 116 in earlier... Uh, oh, shoot, I got tangled on there. Element 118 to eliminate 116 and then to eliminate 114. The Livermore Dubna team had created the same isotope of element 116 in earlier experiments. 
This discovery brings to the total of five new elements for the livermore Dubna collaboration. Oh, I've got my papers mixed up. Darn it. Oh, um, on October 13th of this year, nine Neolithic era buildings have been excavated in the Stonehenge World Heritage Site, according to a report in the journal British Archaeology. The structures which appear to have been homes date to 2600 to 2500 BC and were contemporary with the earliest stone settings at the site's famous megalith. They are the first house-like structures discovered there. The buildings all had plaster floors, timber frames, and most had a central hearth, two including a house possibly inhabited by a community chief or priest were enclosed by ringed ditches, the largest measure, measuring 131 feet across. Post holes indicated a wooden fence would have surrounded the smaller of the two structures. Near the buildings were remains of grooved pottery characteristic of the period along with stone tools. The findings suggest that many people lived at the site around 4,600 years ago. Excavation work is expected to continue over the next three summers. Um, science-based instruments to test the cornerstones of Einstein's general relativity, relativity at the core of ESA's Lisa Pathfinder mission set two small hearts. Each is a cube just five centimeters across. Together they will allow Lisa Pathfinder to lay the foundations for future space-based measurements that investigate the very core of Einstein's general relativity. Einstein's general relativity predicts that the gravity from celestial bodies warps our measurement of distances in such a frame. One scientist can build an exact internal inertial frame of reference and they will be able to measure its warp. Uh-oh, what happened? We lost a line? That was weird. Okay. That was Okay, I'm now deaf in my ear. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay, that was weird. Uh the phone just flipped out there for a minute. All right, sorry, do you have to cut you off? Go ahead and finish. I just, that was weird. Can you still hear me? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Uh, I should continue then. See, the Lisa Pathfinder will test a technique designed to measure a frame of reference much more precisely than ever before. To make this measurement, the Lisa Pathfinder uses two proof masses. Each is a small cube of gold and platinum alloy whose relative motion is measured by a laser beam. Once in space, the, mass proof, or the proof masses will float free, freely within the spacecraft. When subtle forces act on the proof masses, the laser beams will detect the way they change position to within a few thousandths of a billionth of a meter and will be able to detect forces as small as the weight of typical bacterium. Mars Express and the story of water on Mars. For a number of decades now, astronomers have wondered about water on Mars. Thanks to ESA's Mars Express, much of the speculation has been replaced with facts. Launched on June 2, 2003, Mars Express has changed the way we think of Mars. Three instruments on Mars Express have been at the center of the revolution in thought. One is the Mars Advanced Radar for 
surface and ionospheric soundings, or MARSIS. Since July 2005, MARSIS has probed beneath the surface of Mars to depths of thousands of meters. This is the first time such investigations have taken place. MARSIS has shown that many of the upper layers of Mars contain water ice. The scientists detected abundant water ice in the Martian polar regions and also received as a prize from some of the very first results that Marsus returned. When the radar passed over the mid-northern latitudes of the Chris Planitia, the signals showed a buried impact crater below the surface. Inside this impact structure was a thick layer of possibly water ice-rich material. We are finding reservoirs of ice that have never been seen before. Uh, okay, from the UK. The UK Ministry of Defense went to extraordinary, extraordinary lengths to cover up its true involvement in the investigating of UFOs. But the reason is not what we might imagine, reports the Guardian Unlimited website. According to secret documents revealed under the Freedom of Information Act, newly released files now that officials attempted to expunge information from documents released to the Public Records Office. In particular, the ministry wanted to cover up the operation of a secret unit, VI-55, dedicated to UFO investigations within the Defense Intelligence staff. Dave Clark, a lecturer in journalism, says the length that the DI-55 went to remove any mention of the Defense Intelligence staff's central role in investigating sightings suggests they had something to hide. But what they were hiding was not existence of ET visits, but embarrassment at the fact that they never, uh, they were never allowed to spend public money on investigating the subject in any depth. Um, human species may split into two. Evolutionary theorist Oliver Curry of the London School of Economics expects a genetic upper class and a dim-witted underclass to emerge. The human race would peak in the year 3000, he says before a decline due to dependency on technology. People would become choosier about their sexual partners, causing humanity to divide into subspecies, he added. The descendants of the genetic upper class would be tall, slim, healthy, attractive, intelligent, and creative, and a far cry from the underclass humans who would have evolved into dim-witted, ugly, squat, goblin-like creatures but in the nearer future, humans will evolve in 1,000 years into giants between 6 and 7 feet tall, he predicts, while lifespans will have extended to 120 years. Physical appearances driven by indicators of health, youth, and fertility will improve, he says, while men will exhibit symmetrical facial features, look athletic, and have squarer jaws and deeper voices. Women, on the other hand, will develop lighter, smooth, hairless skin, large, clear eyes, glossy hair, and even features, he adds. Racial differences will be ironed out by interbreeding, producing a uniform race of coffee-colored people. However, Dr. Curry warns in 10,000 years' time, humans may have paid a genetic price for relying on technology. Spoiled by gadgets designed to meet their every need, they could come to resemble domestic animals. Um, and final story, oh, excuse me, I missed one. Um, astronomers have new evidence that Andromeda's spiral galaxy was involved in a violent head-on head collision with a neighboring dwarf, 
Dwarf Galaxy Messer 32, designated M32, more than 200 million years ago. The infrared photograph taken with the NASA's Spitzer Space Telescope revealed a never-before-seen dust ring deep within the Andromeda Galaxy. When combined with the previously observed outer ring, the presence of both dust rings suggests that M32 plunged through the disk of Andromeda along Andromeda's polar axis approximately 210 million years ago. Uh, out of Paris, hopes that the moon's south pole has a vast horde of ice that could be used to establish a lunar colony are sadly unfounded, a new study says. In 1994, Radar Echo sent back in an experiment involving a U.S. orbiter called Clementine appeared to show that a treasure trove of frozen water lay below the dust in craters near the lunar south pole that were permanently shaded from the sun. But a paper published in the British science journal Nature on Thursday by a U.S. team says the Clementine data most probably was misinterpreted. Radar images of the moon's south pole to a resolution of 20 meters, looking especially at Shackleton Crater, which had generated most interest. A particular radar signature called the circular polarization ratio, which in the Clementine experiment was taken to indicate thick deposits of ice, could also be created by echoes from the rough terrain and walls of impact craters. The signature was found in both sunny and permanently shaded areas of, of the crater, which suggests that the reflection comes from rocky debris, not thick ice deposits. If there is any ice at the South Pole, it probably comes from tiny structured grains that probably account for only 1 or 2 percent of the local dust. Any planning for future exploration of hydrogen at the Moon's South Pole should be constrained by this low average abundance rather than by the expectation of localized deposits at higher concentrations. And that's all I have for you this evening. Well, thank you very much to you. It was interesting. I always enjoy listening to the different parts of the news. I always like knowing what's going on around the planet, um, especially what my lovable favorite government is up to. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I was answering Jeff. <laughs> sorry about that, guys. Um, it's just one of those things. You know, lately, the way the world's been is you really got to keep them attention. You got to pay attention to what's going on around the planet. Um, and there, there's a lot of reasons for it, I mean, other than just the reasons, the normal reasons of, you know, annihilation, feeding your children, things like that. It's nice to watch, first off, how these events take shape. And is there any outside influences in any of these events? In other words, is all the politics on planet Earth just politics, or is there an outside source interfering uh, to make the politics all worse than they already are? Now, we could argue about this all night, ladies and gentlemen. And as far as I can tell, there's no physical proof to this. But for researchers like myself, knowing the fact that uh, UFOs do exist, aliens are visiting the planet, uh, then I have to think that it has to at least dictate part of our politics. Uh, I can't think where it wouldn't dictate at least part of our politics. Uh, so when you're watching world affairs and world events, keep that in the back of your mind. Uh, not everything may be for the most obvious reason. And like Iraq, for example. We've been to Iraq twice. You really think it's over oil? Nah, it's not over oil. Come on, people. Y'all are smarter than that. What else could be over there that we'd be interested in? Hmm. It's an ancient area. Think about it. I don't know. I don't know. But lately, I've been kind of wondering um, the way things have been shaping up on the planet. And, you know, one of my big hobbies is keeping up on technologies. Um, 
advanced technologies, for space travel, for wars, things like that. And I noticed the U.S. military, along with NASA and a couple other groups that we're not going to mention, have been developing several new laser systems. Um, we, we've, we've been developing space technology and weapon technology that um, a, a non-aggressive species wouldn't develop. That's the only way I can say it. There's a new bomb. Y'all know y'all heard a neutron bomb, right? And the reason I'm bringing this up is the last time the neutron bomb was tested, there was actually four UFO scenes inside the testing area, four. And uh, recently, there's been a new neutron bomb that was made with a half-life of 90 days and a, a contamination radius of 50 miles. The reason I'm bringing it up, because it was just recently tested out in, um, oh, New Mexico, and there was three sightings doing the test. And these were reported by people in the testing area. Um, just kind of curious, you know, you know, ET seems to have a particular interest in this type of weapon, and I'm just curious to watch. But anyway, uh, one of the things I wanted to say right quick uh, is that Jeff has informed me that our guest is in a queue. So, Avis, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you just fine. Avis, do me a favor. Pronounce your last name for me, because apparently uh, I've botched it at least four times. Rough you. Rough you. No, no, I guess I didn't botch it. I don't know. When they're easy like that, it confuses me. <laughs> well, we get these people that come on the show with some of the wildest names, I swear. But, Avis, let me, do, let me get you to do this. Um, I want you to tell our audience a little bit about yourself, why you got involved in ufology, and then we'll start the interview from there. So go ahead. Well, I'm married and the mother of two, and for a certain portion of my life, I lived up in New Hampshire, and a good friend of mine was Betty Hill. And I kept our friendship, I won't say a secret, but um, I sure didn't go out and tell too many people. I myself have never seen a UFO uh, or an alien. I would love to, and I thought maybe I might um, hang it around with Betty, but that never happened. But Betty and I became friends, I believe it was in uh, 86 or 87, and I had met her a few times, and I had a uh, friends that were living in the area, and I shared with them that I had met Betty Hill, and they just went wild. And I really didn't realize that she was, all that much of a celebrity after all those years had gone by. So um, I said, yeah, I was. And at first they were like, yeah, sure you are, sure you are. But uh, then I, I told Betty, I said, yeah, I told people. And they, they said to me, sure you, sure you are. I said, they'd love to meet you. And she said, well, gather them together and we'll, uh, we'll have a little get-together. So I gathered up my friends and she came with her slides and did a, uh, presentation for us, and then we remain friends ever since. You know, I know she's an inter interesting character. I've read a lot about her, I've heard a lot of interviews. I have never met Betty or Bonnie Hill. I have to be honest about that. Uh, I do have lots of questions about them, so just be ready, Ava. I got lots and lots of questions because, you know, being an abduction researcher, uh, I find some faults with uh, their case. So, but we'll get into that into a minute. Let me ask you this now for the audience. Because I know some of these people who are listening to us tonight are uh, veteran researchers and veterans in the field. and you know, But we do have a lot of new people tuning into the show. So I want to just kind of give them a basic rundown, you know, when this happened and just the basics of the case. And then we'll kind of get into it into a little in-depth. Okay. I'd like to mention also, too, that I think it's sort of uh, awesome in a way. And I didn't even realize it myself that 
yesterday was the anniversary of Betty's death. She's been gone two years, so this is sort of a real nice thing to talk about her tonight. Well, I agree. I agree, but let me get you to just tell me a little bit about the case, and then I'll get you going. Uh, Betty and Barney were coming home from a trip in Montreal, Canada, and they were traveling uh, through the White Mountains to their home in Portsmouth. And um, I'm, I think it was Betty who first uh, saw something out the window uh, that appeared a star that was moving and alerted Barney, and he said, oh, it's probably a military plane. And they uh, kept on their journey. And um, then a little bit later on, she said, no, 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 it's, it's, it's there and it's still following us. And he said, well, it's, maybe it's a satellite. So she, they stopped. Uh, they had a dog in the car, so they stopped. And uh, they got out and looked through the binoculars and um, said to, to Barney, that's no star. And um, they got back in the car. And at this point, I think they stopped, too, to have something to eat. Um, then the star started doing some kind of maneuvers. And she was telling Barney the whole time, that is no star, that's no satellite. And they stopped once again, and um, Barney took the binoculars and looked at it, and he saw what appeared to be some beings in the window of this craft looking down at him, and he became somewhat hysterical, thinking he had a thought in his mind that was implanted that they were going to get captured. And so they got back in the car, and it was still pacing them and coming in ever closer. And they reached uh, some point in the road, and Barney uh, took a turn off, which wasn't unusual for Barney because he always liked to find new routes, and so Betty didn't think too much of it. But um, all of a sudden they heard some beeping on the car radio, and um, the next thing they knew, there was a very bright light in front of them. They had gone off the road down this dirt road, and there were a bunch of uh, people, appeared to be people standing in the road, and it was kind of funny to me that Barney thought they were trying to maybe rob them, and Betty thought that maybe someone had had an automobile accident and that they could help. And um, then it became apparent that there were approximately 11, I believe she said 11 uh, very uh, small creatures in the road that parted into two groups and then came to either side of the car and uh, took them on board. Now, we're going to stop right there for a second because now, when, when they, I mean, they were just driving along. Now, I heard you say something about him feeling like he was going to be captured. I mean... Was that that was before what happened, right? Yes. Okay. Now, um, did you ever give a, any other sense to what it may have been? I'm not talking about. I know it's just kind of confusing, but when he made the statement, did he ever give it a sense to what it might have been? Be what he thought it might have been going to capture him before he had seen it. Uh, no, he was very confused at that point and okay. um, wanted to get the heck out of there and get home. I blame him for that. Uh, <laughs> regardless of what happened to him, you can't blame him for that. Because um, I'm really curious. 
see, I really like the Betty and Barney Hilly case. It's, it's one of the ones I grew up on. And um, the only reason I've ever had problems with it is because I had the misfortune of hearing the original regression tapes. And I realized that because of the person that was doing the regression, they were really leading the witnesses really bad. <laughs> and uh, you just, you know, for us it's hard when people do that. It makes it hard for us to make a judgment call on the case because we don't know what is actually coming from the person, what is actually coming from the researcher. That's why we don't allow leading questions to be asked during regression sessions when we use them. But she was so intent on this. And, you know, like with the video you made, I noticed when she was talking about it, she felt very secure about talking about it. There's no, mind, there's no doubt in my mind after watching that video that Betty has no doubt that this is what happened to her. I mean, is that the sense you got? Well, the thing of it isn't that most people have wrong is that Betty and Barney were fully conscious of um, the beings coming up to the car in the road, watching the craft. Uh, the only place that they ran into trouble is uh, when they got on board the craft. It seemed as they started to walk, um, memories just sort of left them. But they remember being fully awake at the end of the event and watching what they thought was the moon lifting up off the ground and going. So... Um, they had a good deal of recall without ever going to see the hypnotist. It was just uh, what happened uh, as they started walking up that sandy path to the, and I'll leave that blank because that's what they ended up, ended up going into hypnosis for. But she, she felt that if they had just left it alone and over time, without hypnosis that it would have come to them because she was having dreams about it and that's part in fact why they ended up at the uh, hypnotist Barney was um, having anxiety and uh, Betty was having nightmares so she re really felt strongly that um, if they had been given more time that all of this would have come to them eventually and Betty was not a big fan of uh, people going under hypnosis to retrieve memories yeah, well, you see, that's a shame that they did because, I mean, it actually hurt them more than it helped them. But it's not, you know, it's not the most important thing about the case anyway. I mean, there's lots of other things about the case that I found it interesting and fascinating. The reason I'm giving you a hard time about it because I know you personally met them. And when we come back from the break, I'm going uh, to ask you a couple more questions about it. But on that note, ladies and gentlemen, we've got to take a break. So I want everyone to please stay tuned to Wake Up USA, a UFO study, a Stardust Radio production. Now being broadcasted live on SRN 1690 Riverside, Iowa. I'm your host, Joe Montalva. I'm sitting and speaking with Avis Ruffy this evening. And when we come back, we may let y'all start asking some questions. So please stay tuned. SRN 1690 AM, Riverside, Iowa, and around the world on the Stardust Radio Network. www.stardustradio.com are you looking for an internet radio station with a unique blend of talk radio and an eclectic musical flavor? Join Stardust Radio today at www.stardustradio.com where talent and technology meet. If you're one of the millions of Americans that suffers from acne or knows a friend or a loved one suffering, please turn up your radio and take down this life-changing information. Introducing Epiclear, the revolutionary new advanced skin treatment imported from Europe formulated to help get rid of pimples and prevent further breakouts. Great for all ages and most skin irritations, Epiclear is doing something that no other acne treatment formula has ever done, ever. 
We're so confident that EpiClear will clear up your skin that we're willing to let you try it for free. That's right. You heard free. And we mean free. Over a $70 value delivered without a prescription right to your house. Call now while free supplies last at 1-800-656-5993. Nothing to risk and everything to gain. Call EpiClear at 1-800-656-5993. That was 1-800-656-5993. Limit one order per household, please. Call 1-800-656-5993. Shipping and handling not included. What America needs is affordable health insurance. Finding affordable health insurance for you and your family, it's on everyone's mind right now. If you're self-employed, it's on your mind, too. One of the things we face as entrepreneurial Americans is finding affordable health insurance. Well, I found a company you can call right now and get affordable health insurance. Midwest National Life Insurance Company of Tennessee. Write this number down, 877-679-7794. That's 877-679-7794. Midwest specializes in helping entrepreneurs of all kinds, those of us who run small businesses or don't get health insurance where we work to protect our families with affordable health insurance. Call 877-679-7794. Not available in all states. Association membership is required in most states. Home office, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Exclusions and limitations apply. SRN 1690 AM, Riverside, Iowa, and around the world on the Stardust Radio Network. www.stardustradio.com Good evening and welcome back to Wake Up USA, a UFO study, a Stardust Radio production, now being broadcasted live on SRN 1690, Riverside, Iowa. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you're enjoying the show. Uh, we're discussing Betty and Barney Hill tonight. should be a lot of fun. Uh, it should be very interesting to see where this conversation goes tonight. And, you know, Avis, we were talking about a couple of things before the break, but in, let me ask you, in your opinion, what do you think is the strongest point to the Betty and Barney Hill case and the weakest point? Uh, well, I think there's several. Uh, one, uh, of course, when Betty first said that they had put a needle into her navel, uh, someone in the medical field said that is bizarre because uh, you can't do that. You'll end up with an infection and all kinds of problems. And then several years later, they started to use that procedure. And then, of course, the star map. But they're also... Um, is on record that uh, there's an air base that lives very close to Betty and at uh, Peace Air Force Base. And that night, they had uh, something unidentified on their um, on their scope there. And I believe that was at 2.15. And she was in uh, constant communication with Peace Air Force Base, representatives from the base and probably from higher up. And so um, they worked with the military um, for, I'm not exactly sure how long, but they they worked with them on this case. <clears throat> and I thought that was pretty strong evidence. And I that, think, that scares me. Go ahead, finish. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think the thing that, because I knew Betty so long, and I knew Betty <clears throat> in social situations and a friendship, is that she was a very truthful human being, and um, she was a very honorable human being. And um, I could not see any reason, after knowing her so many years, for her to fabricate 
such a story. She was such a busy lady. She and Barney both were in the community. They were working with community action, setting up uh, programs for the poor. Um, Barney was uh, working uh, with the civil rights movement. Uh, Betty was a social worker that was working with families, um, um, setting up adoptions. Uh, he was an ex-military man and working for the post office. And, and needless to say, they were an interracial couple, which was um, not very common back in those days. So, I mean, the more I got to know Betty, the more I thought there's no reason on earth for these people to concoct this kind of story. Oh, I agree. I, I don't. I do not think. Uh, let me clarify for the audience and the people who heard me talk about this in the, in the past. To me, there is no doubt that, as far as Benny and Barney Hill is concerned, what they told us and told the public is what they think happened to them. Being a researcher, though, I'm not exactly sure that's what happened to them. I got to be honest with you, Avis. Knowing they were having military contact just makes me think they were mill labs and not abductees. Um, the, the, the reason why is, in other words, they would, they would still be abductees. It's just a difference in who actually physically picked them up. And there's some things in their case when I first heard it, I said, well, damn, they're definitely alien abductees. And then I was talking with someone a couple of months ago, and something got me to thinking. And then actually a couple of years ago, somebody got me thinking about something to do with a star map. And then I was watching the tape he gave me, and there was a couple of things she said that I'm used to hearing from military abductees, not uh-huh. alien abductees. And, uh, of course, it could have been both. Okay, we can't even rule that out <laughs> at this point. But uh, to me, there's no doubt as far as, which is, as far as she was concerned, this is what happened to her. But for a researcher, that doesn't mean squat because we know cover memories are planted every day. So we actually have to look past the cover memories and past what, uh, this, what I like to call a screensaver, what's given for us, our benefit, and what actually really may be there. And I noticed when you were talking, you ought to put that tape up for sale, girl. It's a good tape. I mean, it's a good <laughs> Well, it was up for sale, and I um, I made a collection of them. Actually, uh, I had belonged to MUFON for years. Ooh, yuck. Never, <laughs> never mentioned to them that I knew Betty, and one day I, I overheard a gentleman uh, saying some things about Betty, and they just were not true. And I spoke up, and my director said, what are you, like a close friend of hers or something? How do you know this? And then I finally said, yes, as a matter of fact, I am. And then he became very excited and said, well, can you present at a meeting? And I said, present what? And he said, could you do an audio, maybe sit down with her? Um, MUFON members can give you some questions to ask her. And so that's how that all started. So I called Betty and said, would you be willing to do that? And she said, yeah. And we got up there, and my husband said, why should we do an audio? Let's go to Walmart and buy a camera, and uh, we'll, you know, we'll shoot it. So I presented that at um, MUFON, and people said, oh, could I have a copy? Could I have a copy? So for a while I uh, sold them, but I have, uh, I have a few left, not, not many, but I have a few of them left. Well, you know, we ought to find you a little spot, put them up, because uh, the video was really good. I really did enjoy the video. I, I enjoyed watching it. You did a good interview with her. Um, it's a shame if I if I had a present, I might have even queued up and played a couple of segments out of it because uh, it, it is really a good uh, interview, and I really enjoyed it. It's just like I said, it, it's hard for me. So what I want you to do is convince me that she's an alien abductee. <laughs> 
See, because as soon well, as you told me about the first time I ever heard the needle in the, the navel, first thing I thought of was um, uh, epidural amniocentesis. Which one it is? I always get confused. Amniocentesis. Uh, amnio. Yeah, and that's the first thing that came to mind to me. Now, granted, this wasn't a technology you would have found in the hospitals back then, but it is a technology you would have found in our military. Remember, the military gets the technology before we do, and a lot of times they're testing this stuff on civilians. It's not uncommon for our government to do that and then lie about doing it or cover it with something else. So, you know, it's hard for me because, you know, I, as far as I can see, something happened to these two beyond any reasonable doubt in anyone's mind. Something happened to these two people. And for me, I really want to know, was it truly aliens or was it something else? Um, because it is a good case, and if it was a mix or if it was one or the other, I just want to get it clarified because I know if I'm thinking it, there's other research, researchers out there thinking it. And, you know, because I've been doing this a long time, so I, I usually know when we're running in kind of like trends, and this seems to be where this one's going. So I figured this would be a good night to nip all this in the butt. <laughs> oh, well, you know, that's the way you handle things, right? You don't let rumors and gossip just go on. You nip them in the butt. That's right. Well, I think the strongest thing about Betty's case is that, uh, of course, she became popular, she and Barney, worldwide when yep. when the abduction happened in 1961. I don't think it was brought to the public till 1965 when Fuller wrote the book. And then when the movie came out, it was, she had people calling day and night and at her door. And people tend to put Betty in that box with that September 1961 incident where she and Barney were abducted. And there were so many other things that were going on after that. Betty became a investigator herself because so many people came to her house and uh, visited with her, big names, small names. Uh, they arrived at her door, called her. And one thing I will say about Betty is she was always very gracious to everyone. I really don't know how she did it. I was with her many times when this would happen and she was just so gracious to people i don't know that i could have been that kind but everybody seems to want to put betty and barney in that box with that one incident and they are willing to accept that they were abducted once but um they never were particularly interested in anything else after that and so much more happened to me that was much more sensational than that one event. And I was of the thinking, I have to admit, way back when, that you got abducted once and that was your story. But uh, the more that I go along, that if you were abducted once, um, more than likely, and this holds true for Betty, that um, you've been visited many, many times. I think it's a very rare case when somebody is just uh, just has a chance encounter. Maybe Travis Walton is, and I'm sure there are many more, but his his name comes to my mind. But Betty is not unlike the traditional abductee. She had she and Barney up until his death in 1969 had many, many encounters with UFOs, um, they would leave their house. And, and this is why I don't tend to think that it was military, because they would pace them, 
and Betty went out with a host of people, uh, um, military, ex-military, CIA. She went out with uh, newspaper reporters. And she had a particular spot in New Hampshire that she used to go to. And uh, she would get bring her cigarettes and she would bring her Dunkin' Donuts coffee. And she would settle in and she would wait for them to come in. Many times she brought her dog with her and her two cats because she wanted to watch their reaction. And after the novelty of the 1961 event, Betty got very serious about what is going on here. And then, of course, when she stepped forward, particularly in the area where she lived, many, many people, uh, too numerous to even count, um, were seeking her out. Because at that time there were no MUFONs. There were not, there were not many people in the field that were investigating. So Betty took it upon herself, um, to set up a very loose, what she called a silent network. And these were people that were very, very seriously interested in UFOs. And, um, they would get together and share and discuss their findings. She said they never had any membership, no dues. They never published a publication. In fact, they were unknown to the media and the few UFO organizations that were in place. But they were documenting as best they could. Um, and um, she had files and files and files and um, would go out, I won't say nightly, but uh, a couple of times every week she would go out and they would spot these things, and, and somebody might contact her and say, um, we have something happening down here in Kingston. And she would be right in the car and go down there. So it wasn't just the 1961 event. They had numerous, numerous, beyond imagination, numerous events uh, of sightings and uh, communicating with the aliens and... Um, just seeing all, I think she said that they had over a three-year period of time, this is back in the late 60s, maybe early 70s, they had filmed uh, 200 different kinds of ships. And she had in her collection, the one that I saw, about 80 slides showing them doing different sorts of things. So if it was military they were extensively involved not only with Betty and Barney Hill, but with pretty much the Northeast, all, all the people in the Northeast, because these were very um, close encounter um, events that happened where these ships were landing and there were uh, beings coming out, and um, they were terrifying some of the people in the area because um, they'd be watching TV and there would be... Uh, beings looking in the window, watching the TV right along with them. So, I mean, it was so many events that happened. And she, um, thank goodness, she was uh, great at keeping records. And so she had all the records for over 30 years of going out and investigating and also becoming uh, a witness of the event. I mean, she sounds like she stayed busy, which is good. Um the stuff on the East Coast could be taken either way because that, that's, that's iffy. 
But I'll tell you what I'd like if you ever run into these people who had seen stuff out there, because I'm curious to see what every kind of, what the different people, what type of aliens they were seeing. Um, because it makes a difference. If, if you have an area, say like Virginia, and you get, and say you're in Norfolk, and you get 30 reports out of Norfolk, okay, all on the same night, but each report reports a different alien, you know somebody's not telling the truth. Uh, more than likely 29 out of the 30 people aren't telling the truth. So it's weird, and I've been doing this a long time, so I'm very, very skeptical. Uh, I've talked to literally thousands of people these days, and I take everything with a grain of salt. I'm just just that kind of person. But, see, I'm intrigued that you said that she's had other other things happen to her because if you take her on just the case in 61, I wouldn't give her credit for being an uh, alien abductee. Now, if she's had regular experiences before that, and it's a shame whoever did the regression didn't do some childhood research because uh, they may have found something much more interesting there. Uh, damn, that's really a shame, too, because uh, that really would have made a difference in the whole case because contact, you know, usually starts, as far as what you can remember, three to five years old because people remember different ages. But, I mean, we know it starts before birth. Um, you know, usually contactees run in generational families, so... As best we can tell, they've been doing it for at least 6,000 years, which would have meant her mom, her, her mom, her mom, and so on and so forth would have all been contactees. Um, if, if you're a multiple contactee, that's how it works. If you're a single contactee, that's not how it works. And you're right. I mean, as far as single contactees go, there's Travis Walton, Charles Hickson, which later in his life said he was having more than one contact. Uh, the Allagash four, and they used to put Betty and Barney Hill in that case, but I'm going to take them out of this, and she said they had other experiences. Well, Betty wrote a book back in, I think it was 1995, um, of all her experiences that had happened uh, after 1961, and um, she self-published, and it's, um, it's a quick read for sure. It's called A Common Sense Approach to UFOs. Really, she uh, had it published to just hand out to people and to give us gifts. And in this book, if you can ever get your hands on it, it speaks about everything that happened to her after the 1961 uh, event. And uh, in the book, Betty uh, even tells a story that one night her mother and father were sleeping at their home in uh, Kingston, and there were all kinds of lights coming in through the house, which alerted them. And then they heard almost like a sonic boom that just shook the house, shook the windows, and her father thought, oh, God, the furnace has blown up. So he went running, and um, they went down, checked the furnace, nothing, went outside, checked around. But her father uh, used to be the mayor of um, Kingston for years. He was the mayor. And um, they had quite a bit of property out in the back, and they had an area that was like a knoll. And what they discovered is that these UFOs were coming in on her parents' property. It was very, very swampy around this knoll, so it was a perfect place for them to come in. And they had found burn marks and uh, impressions in, in the area. And she sought out an investigator. Be Betty really didn't have um, placed a lot of high value on investigators at that time. Um, she tried to stay away from um, most of them. 
She didn't really know exactly what they were doing, but they didn't seem to be very interested in investigating UFOs. And her belief was, because she knew so many military people, that most of the people that were in UFO organizations or uh, were out there saying they were investigators were military. Oh. And so they came out there and they looked and they just said, ah, 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 and sort of said, okay, and walked away, and she never heard anything. So Betty really never belonged to any group. Uh, she was always very suspicious of investigators. Actually, she was very suspicious of people that came forward and said that they um, had been abducted. So she would have gotten along with you fabulously. Well, she sounds like she would have. I mean, from what I've heard about the lady, it's a shame I never got to meet her because we'd have probably agreed on quite a few things. Um, it's good to be skeptical in this field, and it's good to, even with all cases, it's good to be skeptical because you'd be surprised at things you find out um, when you really start digging into the investigations to see, you know, what was involved um, with these. But, you know, in their case, it was interesting. Now, you know, Bar I mean, Barney always seemed to be rather quiet with this. Oh, wait, do me a favor. Can you squash this rumor? Uh, what was it, about six months ago, nine months ago, somebody came into the room with a website uh, that had on there that Barney Hill, on his deathbed, recanted his story about this. Now, it looked rather shabby to me. I said, but I, I got Avis coming on. I'm just going to ask her up front. Was that true or was that BS? That's absolutely bogus. Now, you see, see I, that's why we have these kind of shows, so people can find out the truth about things. I figured you've talked to her probably more than most people had, and so it's a, it's a good place to start. And uh, I love these kind of cases. I really do. Now, did she ever talk about being, I mean, having abductions later in life? No, I don't uh, remember her talking about being abducted again. In fact, she used to laugh, and she would say, you know, whatever they were looking for, obviously she didn't have it, so she was a reject of some kind. But she was um, constantly uh, seeing them. Um, uh, one incident that happened not too long after they were abducted, what well, she had said to the leader on the craft, uh, will I ever see you again? And uh, he didn't really know. And uh, she said, well, we're not from around here. So you won't know where to find me, and he assured her that he could he could find her. And uh, she and Barney happened to be out one day, and they were looking, uh, still looking for the spot where they were abducted. And um, they came home, and there were a pile of leaves on Betty's table. And uh, she was sort of like, "What in the world?" So she went to dust the leaves off, and um, the night she was abducted, uh, along with the dress, she was wearing some blue earrings, and under the pile of leaves on the table were the blue earrings. So she knew, they knew where she lived. Oh, yeah, I have no doubt they knew where she lived. Um, actually, I don't think it even matters in their technology if you're at home, you're not at home. They have a real unique way of being able to find out where you are. <laughs> Uh, they tend to know where to contact you all the time. But, you know, in all fairness, so does Uncle Sam, so they track us pretty well these days, too. Um, you know, the V-chip, which came out in 95, which was probably tested in the early 60s, 
because it takes 20 to 30 years for this stuff to hit the streets. Uh, it was very interesting even back then. It couldn't have been as small as it was now because there's no way. I mean, solid state, well, solid state was around. I guess it could have been. I don't know how they would have tried to without GPS, though. I've always wondered about that one. Uh, there is some, some paper trails that lead back to the early 60s uh, dealing with these different type of tracking devices. Um, what I find interesting is if that's the case, then that means they had global positioning 20 years before we thought they did. <laughs> which, which I'm not going to rule out in our government's case. You know, they're just evil like that and they keep things from us. I don't even know if that's a bad thing. But going back, going back to Betty, because, you know, I'm kind of interested because Betty seemed to be more open about this and Barney seemed to be more quiet about this. Why do you think that was? Well, I think part of it was their personalities. And Betty said to me, and it's on the video, that Barney took it very personally that he could not protect Betty on that night. And he was uh, quite a bit bigger than Betty. Betty was a little tiny bit of a thing, probably 4'11", 4'11 and a half. And um, Barney's reaction to um, the abduction was quite different than Betty's. And it's not that she wasn't afraid, but they seemed to put him more in a trance-like than she was because they were... Uh, he was walking, but they had him under each arm, uh, leading him onto the craft where Betty um, got fearful and started to have, I believe the word she uses is a little tussle with these little gray guys. And um, she was scared to death they were going to take him on the craft and uh, just take off with them. So she and uh, two of the aliens had a little bit of a scuffle which uh, ripped the lining of her dress, and um, and uh, finally she just knew that there was no point to this, so she just um, finally just shrugged and and went on board with them, just hoping that they let them go. But uh, you can see from the first reaction, uh, when Betty saw it in the binoculars, she was very excited and thought, "Oh, this is going to be this is going to be interesting." where Barney, especially when uh, he was able to see the craft, as it it kept coming in closer and closer, uh, when he was able to get the binoculars on it and see some type of being looking at him, uh, he had this thought that he was going to be captured. And um, I think that's just part of their personalities, too, is that Betty was just uh, more open and I also thought it was interesting because um, Barney, uh, even in the tapes, um, said that they spoke to him mentally. And uh, Betty said that they used their mouths. When, when they talked to her, they were talking to her with a, a bit of an accent, but they were talking pretty good English. You could tell they weren't from around here. But... Um, they used their mouth, and I thought that was, and for years and years, they would go back and forth with that. Barney would say, no, they spoke to us in our heads, and Betty would say, no, they spoke to me with their mouth. And I, thought, and I, I don't know, I found comfort in that, in that their stories were not always exactly the same. Well, no, they shouldn't be. I mean, they, they should have seen things differently, and they're going to treat him differently than they're going to treat her. What I find interesting about this is I know about a case out of Gulf Breeze, Florida that has a lot of similarity to this case. Um, I know we're going to be getting close to the break here, so when we come back we'll start taking some questions. But 
um, what I find interesting about it, and in this case, one of them was a contactee. One of them was a millamp. And uh, I find that really interesting. And listening to you talk, because the person who was the millab actually said that they, the Grays talked to her verbally. And the contactee always said that they talked to him mentally. The way we found out that the person was a, a millab was through regression. Because when you regressed them, instead of seeing the gray there, she's seen a tall, red-headed doctor. And she's not the only one, by the way. We've got about 175 of these cases uh, like this. Man, see, God, I would have loved to have talked to Betty Hill. <laughs> this sucks. Oh, excuse my language, ladies and gentlemen. It sucks. Uh, but anyway, ladies and gentlemen, we've got to take a break. So I want everyone to please stay tuned to Wake Up USA, a UFO study, a Stardust Radio production. Now being broadcasted live in SRN 1690, Riverside, Iowa. I'm your host, Joe Montalvo. I'm sitting and speaking with Avis Ruffio. And as soon as we get back, we'll start taking some questions. So please stay tuned. SRN 1690 AM, Riverside, Iowa, and around the world on the Stardust Radio Network. www.stardustradio.com This internet station sounds great on your computer, but wouldn't it be even better if you could take it with you wherever you go? Now you can. This station is proud to be affiliated with the Mobile Broadcast Network, brought to you exclusively by XS Voice. They make it possible for you to hear your favorite Internet station anytime, anywhere, on your cell phone. To get connected, go to www.mymbn.com and listen to Internet Radio on the go. We're here today with Paul Dow of Timeshares Only. And, Paul, you've got some terrific news for timeshare owners. That's right. In the next six months, over $3.5 billion of timeshares will be sold. So this is the perfect time to sell. Exactly, which is why you need to get your property into our network. And if you call us right now, you'll also get a $500 shopping spree absolutely free. $500 free? Yes, just for posting your property with timeshares only. And when you do sell your property, you'll get cash. It's a double bonus. You can't lose. Except if I don't call. Hey, over 10 million people will be looking to buy a timeshare. So we need your property now. The number to call now is 1-800-921-0866. That's 1-800-921-0866. Turn your timeshare into cash and get a free $500 shopping spree. And if our lines are busy, please keep calling. That number again for timeshares only is 1-800-921-0866. That's 1-800-921-0866. If you're one of the millions of Americans that suffers from acne or knows a friend or a loved one suffering, please turn up your radio and take down this life-changing information. Introducing EpiClear, the revolutionary new advanced skin treatment imported from Europe, formulated to help get rid of pimples and prevent further breakouts. Great for all ages and most skin irritations, EpiClear is doing something that no other acne treatment formula has ever done, ever. We're so confident that EpiClear will clear up your skin that we're willing to let you try it for free. That's right. You heard free. And we mean free. Over a $70 value delivered without a prescription right to your house. Call now while free supplies last at 1-800-656-5993. Nothing to risk and everything to gain. Call EpiClear at 1-800-656-5993. That was 1-800-656-5993. Limit one order per household, please. Call 1-800-656-5993. Shipping and handling not included. 
Are you looking for an internet radio station with a unique blend of talk radio and an eclectic musical flavor? Join Stardust Radio today at www.stardustradio.com where talent and technology meet. SRN 1690 AM, Riverside, Iowa, and around the world on the Stardust Radio Network. www.stardustradio.com Good evening and welcome back to Wake Up USA, a UFO study, a Stardust Radio production now being broadcasted live on SRN 1690, Riverside, Iowa. Uh, everybody, welcome uh, Ms. Davis back to the show. We're here enjoying ourselves tonight. Remember, if you'd like to use a toll-free number, you can. It's 1-877-213-4329. Again, 1-877-213-4329. Don't be scared to pick up the phone. Uh, no, Avis wanted to mention something, so I'm going to give her the mic right quick, and then we'll start taking some questions. So, Avis, uh, it's all yours. Uh, I had hoped tonight that um, Betty's niece, uh, Kathy, would have been able to join us in this discussion, and she, she wanted to do that, but there was a sickness in the family. But she did say to me, I know that for several years she's been working on a book uh, about Betty, and um, Stanton Friedman has stepped in with Kathy, and he is involving himself in the publication of this book, and uh, Kathy said to let everybody know that it's going to be an accurate and true historical record of Betty's life, including the incident and everything that occurred afterwards. And what is going to be in the book is uh, confidential information that was never released to the public. And they are also going to put letters in there and uh, documents, and they're going to release names of military people that they spoke to, scientists that were involved, anybody that um, <clears throat> had any involvement with the case, because what a lot of people don't realize about that 1961 case is quite a bit of information was um, held from the public. Uh, a lot of it was uh, simply what the police do. They keep some facts hidden. Um, and then they can use that to gauge other cases because I know Betty was approached by many, many people after the 1975 um, movie came out, um, the UFO incident with James um, Earl Jones and I think Estelle Parsons played Betty, and people would come up to her and she called them part of the Me Too crowd, and they would say, yeah, that happened to me too. And she said, oh, did your aliens look just like the ones in the movie? And they would say yes, and Betty would say, well, that wasn't them. <laughs> so um, uh, Kathy and Stanton Friedman um, are working on the book, and um, right now I guess the thing that they're looking for is a publisher. So if anybody's looking to publish a book, um, they, they uh, are looking for a publisher. So I thought I'd pass that along to you. So when it is published, when and if, and I hope it's when, um, there will be all the names and the documents. Well, that's cool. You know what, um, Avis, we do know a couple of publishers. We've actually had them on the show. I have to get Linda to look up who they are, and uh, maybe we can get everybody together and see what they can get working out here, because I'd be interested to see you know, what they have to say about this. And, uh, you know, to the audience, guys, we've taken this conversation in about five different sections. I think all of y'all have fallen asleep and dropped your face in the coffee or something tonight. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm just kind of curious, guys. I mean, this is we're, we're touching on several different areas here, and I don't hear anybody agree and disagree on anything else. I'm kind of weird, I think. But anyway, 
I know Dee Dragon's had her hand up for a while, and we've been kind of just chatting and leaving her there. So, Dee, why don't you come up, give us your first name and location, and you're live and on the air. Forbidden history, grisly ghosts, monstrous cryptids, and harrowing folklore dominate Japan's history and culture. Mysterious Japan is a bi-weekly podcast presenting these spine-chilling horror stories, urban legends, and unbelievable histories in a campfire story format. Many of these tales have never been presented in English before. Our journey takes place where dark history and supernatural folklore collide. Mysterious Japan is produced, written, and translated by recognized Japan expert Dr. Heath Havey. Season 1 relates the unbelievable legends and ghost stories from the so-called suicide forest. Listen to Mysterious Japan for free on Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Learn more at our website at themysteriousjapan.com and be transported by unbelievable stories where the lines between reality and folklore become blurred in the shadowlands of Japan. Once again, that's themysteriousjapan.com. Thank you, Joe. Uh, thank you for being on Avis. This is Dee. I'm Southwest Regional Director for ICAR out of Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, Joe and Linda had graciously, through our little snail mail book exchange, uh, sent your DVD of your documentary. And it's a question I have to ask about that, or several questions, actually. Number one, uh, does, she, does anybody have the cast? that she said she made of the footprints in the dirt is the first one. And the second one is where is the dress that she wore that night back in the 60s? Uh, who has it and what are they doing with it? Are they going to do any more testing with it or, or what? <laughs> Thank you. Well, fortunately or <clears throat> unfortunately, all of Betty's collection, the dress included, the bust of Junior, uh, cat, anything that had to do, she had stockpiled in her basement, uh, just articles too numerous to even uh, begin to talk about. But upon her death, um, the University of New Hampshire had been working on Betty and with Betty for many years to um, gather up her collection and archive it at um, the University of New Hampshire, and sadly for us, the public, the dress and uh, everything else is archived now at uh, UNH. Okay, I must have missed something there. That was weird. This, okay, wait, don't wait. Wait, there's something else I wanted to ask you when we went to break now. I forgot what it was. Um, oh, back to Barney Hill. Jumping back on you again. I like going backwards and forwards here. Um, you know, we were talking about the personalities between them. Now, from from an outside point of view, looking in, uh, if you were looking at them, you would definitely think that Betty was the more dominant or more aggressive personality. Um, I wouldn't say aggressive. I've always found Betty to be a very gracious lady. She was a no nonsense type of person, and she told everybody and everything straight up, which I found was refreshing. But Barty uh, was a little bit more introvert, I would say. Because I was just curious. Um, yeah, because the stories I hear about Barney, he, he seems to be, 
you know, just more laid back. Well, not more laid back. That's not what I'm what I'm trying to say here. He just seems to be more withdrawn than she was. I guess what I was trying to say. Um, she seemed to just be more of an outgoing type of person than he was. At least in the public part of their life, it seems like she was just more um, outgoing than he was, or more willing to talk about this particular subject. Because um, you know, I hear about a lot of interviews from her, and I have heard a couple of them with both of them, and I've even seen two interviews with just him, but. He just and I noticed when he talked about this, he seemed to be um, I don't know holding something in, holding something back, just or just holding himself tight. I mean, have you noticed that? Well, I never met Barney to tell you uh, the truth. I wish I had, but uh, from Betty's recollection, and uh, I know a few members from Betty's family, and um, he was uh, like I said, an introvert. Um, I think he had. A great deal of strength in areas that maybe Betty didn't, and uh, <clears throat> she complimented him for sure. But I think his reaction to, and I think this is true of uh, all abductees, is that his reaction was uh, very different than Betty's. She definitely, yes, yeah, she definitely had a much different thing, and their contacts were quite a bit. Di well, not quite a bit different, but they seemed to. Um, they. They seem to be different in the fact that I noticed the way they described the aliens, and even the sense that they came away from them with the aliens seemed to be different. Um, that, which could be for several reasons. I mean, there are several reasons why that could have happened. I was just kind of curious because how long? Do you know how long they had been married before this had happened? Well, this was both their second marriage. Yes. And um, I sure don't. I don't think. I think they were married a couple years. Maybe four or five years. I could be so off base with that, but I think it was four or five years they were married before this happened. Well, we'll, we'll come back to that in a second because Justice informed me that uh, TRMT is on the 800 line. Can you hear me there, TRMT? Yes, I can. And it's wonderful to hear you speak this evening, Joe, with uh, Avis. Thank you, Avis, for all this fascinating information. Um, again, it's Tree speaking. Uh, Avis, among the very interesting uh, information points you've mentioned this evening, you did know responsible career position. In fact, just after her death, uh, the October 20th, 2004 article in the Boston Globe uh, mentioned that Betty was a graduate of the University of New Hampshire and served for many years as supervisor of referrals in the State Child Welfare Agency office in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Avis, do you think that given Betty's responsible position, this is a great example of a clearly dependable citizen being impacted by the UFO ET phenomenon? Thank you, Avis. Yes, I, I do think that Betty was impacted. Uh, anyone would be. I mean, when their case came to light, um, their world, as they knew it, uh, collapsed. And um, a lot of it was was wonderful. They got to meet people that, the astronauts and, and scientists, they got to meet people that they would never have uh, met in their uh, course of life. And um, I think the thing that I hear most from people that met Betty, even casually, is that she was the salt of the earth, and um, she had a tremendous sense of humor, and she had a tremendous compassion for people, and that was reflected in their lives. Uh, she was a social worker, and she was on the board. She did graduate 
from uh, UNH, and um, they were involved uh, for years in uh, co- with the community. So they were solid, upstanding citizens, and um, I don't ever remember hearing one negative thing from the locals about them. Well, you know, I've never really heard anything bad about either one of them. Uh, I mean, nothing publicly, anyway. I mean, I'm sure everybody's got their secrets, but um, I've never really heard anything bad about either one of them, which is, that's actually a really, really good sign there, Avis, to be honest with you, because you notice a lot of people uh, that get involved with this, eventually someone's got to say something nasty about them. Um, but in that case, I haven't really heard anything that bad. You know, I got a weird question from the audience. That's not so weird. It's from Wisdom Man. They wanted to know if um, if she remembers if, if things like if they were wearing clothes, if they had fingernails or not, you know, if they had noses, things like that. I guess they're trying to get a basic description on if they had clothes or not on, things like that. Well, again, I wish you could get your hands on that uh, book, A Common Sense Approach to UFOs. Uh, in it, there was an artist when they were um, going through regression and stepped forward and worked with Barney in particular in uh, sketching out these um, aliens as he described them. And Betty said that there were, as best she can recall, there were 11 of them. And they were very distinct, although they looked very similar. They were very uh, uh, small in statue. The leader, which she called the leader, was taller than the rest. But she called one the examiner, and then there was a short little one that seemed to be more mouthy uh, than the rest of them. And um, they were your uh, typical uh, grays. Um, they were very uh, short and statute. They seemed to have like a balloon-type head that was flattened in the front um, where the face was. And uh, they had the very large wraparound eyes. They had um, uh, nose holes a little slit for a mouth, there seemed to be some sort of, not teeth exactly, but something was there, that, uh, almost like cartilage or, or something in the mouth area, and two holes where the uh, ear should be. Uh, when they came upon the car, when they were outside uh, to get them to bring them onto the craft, uh, they had, uh, all of them had a one-piece um, type of suit on, but over it when they were outside the craft, they had uh, jackets on, and uh, some of them had hats on, and um, the thing that struck me most interesting is that he said their feet were peculiar in that uh, they were as wide as they were long, and that's not to say that they were very long, but they were as wide as they were long, which you would think would make for, excuse me, terrible difficulty in walking, but they were very nimble. Yeah, well, everybody just does describe the greys as very agile. Um, Actually, uh, they're quite a bit stronger than they look, too. (laughs) You know, um, yeah, we're not going to, no, let's not talk about the NSA and the CIA. I'm sorry, somebody's IMing me while I'm talking, and it's kind of weird. You know, i got to say one thing, though, we got somebody's attention tonight, but that's cool. Somebody else is paying attention to the show. You ready for some more questions? Sure. Okay, who we got up next? Uh, Linda Keeper. Why don't you come up, give us your first name and location, and you're live and on the air. Good afternoon, Avis, and so nice to have a personal friend of Betty's on the show. 
I missed a few minutes in the beginning, so if you've already talked about this, I apologize. Did Betty and Barney have children? And I was wondering, did anyone else in the family have abductions? Ooh, good question. Uh, Barney had a daughter by a previous marriage, and Betty adopted uh, three children. That's interesting. Uh, well, then I'm sure the children were aware of what had happened, right? The children were aware, and the children also uh, cited UFOs themselves. Yeah, well, that's cool. That, that's interesting in itself. No, oh, man, adopted three. I mean, from any, where they were like from an adoption agency or from a family, or I don't want to get too personal, but I'm just curious. Uh, Betty worked in, um, um, setting up adoptions. That was what she did. And um, she had a, friend, a dear friend that was not in a position to take care of her children um, because of uh, life circumstances, and Betty adopted them. Hey, I wonder, uh, none of the kids speak publicly or anything, do they? Because I was just curious, because, you know, actually, this is the first time I heard they had kids, so shame on me. <laughs> well, I think they kept their private life very private, and I think they did a wonderful job of it. And um, the children are all grown, and um, um, I know one of Betty's daughters that I met, Connie, and um, they all seem to have um, uh, a story to tell about a sighting that they had when they were out with Betty and Barney, or out with Betty. Well, I'd love I'd love to talk to them just to just to see what kind of experiences they had. That would tell you a world of information right there. Uh, kids are always a good place to start with an abduction. <laughs> they just even if they're older kids, it's just a good place to start. Uh, because it's rare that you'll find a contactee or an abductee that their children have. Being that they're adopted children, maybe not. But in general, usually children have some kind of an experience, uh, which is strange. There are, you know, like we talked about earlier in the show, ladies and gentlemen, because we don't want to get sidetracked. There are some cases where there's only one abduction. Um, there's a lot of him and hawing about why that happens. Personally, I think you're just in the wrong place at the right time. Uh, and that's just what happens. Um, in Betty Barney Hill's case, it might be something else. It could be a couple of different things. But like in Travis Walton's case, I mean, it was basically wham, bam, and that was the end of it. And actually, he doesn't even want to talk about it anymore, which I find odd. Well, not really, but I guess after you answer the same question umpteen million times, you kind of get tired of answering the same question. <laughs> I can't well, Yeah, Betty was that way also. I mean, she had talked about this for years and years, and finally she said to me at one point, you know, it's boring. It's just, it's just boring, and I think that Betty and I remained friends for so many years because we had so many outside interests. Um, we both liked dachshunds, and we both were politically uh, motivated. Betty was very political, and uh, we both liked gardening. So, uh, and genealogy. She was uh, huge on genealogy, and in fact, here's a little bit of trivia for you. Um, Betty was a uh, Bartlett. Her family came over um, on the Mayflower, and they landed in Plymouth, and they were part of uh, the pilgrims that came. And the Mayflower departed England on September 16, 1620, and Betty and Barney were abducted on September 16, 1961, which is exactly...
exactly 341 years after the historic departure of the Mayflower. So I think that's, I always thought that was kind of interesting. I don't believe in coincidences. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think nothing happens as a coincidence. I just don't. I, I, I've learned over the years, people say, well, that was a coincidence. And you start looking, and you're like, ah, that's not what that was. But <laughs> yeah, Well, the thing of it is, is it's hard to make people understand. You know, people start talking about aliens and abductions, and they think, you know, they start thinking like Roswell or the Foo Fighters, but no one really thinks beyond that point. 95% of the people you talk to, if they do know something about the subject, it's usually something related to like Betty and Barney Hill or Shag Harbor or Roswell or the Foo Fighters. And that's really the length of their education. They don't understand that this is something that's been going on pretty much for as long as we can tell. Um, we know it's been going on as long as civilization has been, so it's kind of interesting. I believe that. Uh, Betty absolutely believed that, that this is not something that occurred during uh, Roswell or, or started up uh, simply because people heard of Betty and Barney Hill. She believed that they have been coming here to the earth um, since the earth uh, was the earth. And um, they just happened to be picked up. But um, this, is, this is nothing new that's, that's uh, started up in this century. Well, no, I know. I, um, no, what the hell was I going to ask you? I'm, I'm losing my mind tonight. I'll tell you what, we'll take another question for the audience and I'll think about it. Um, actually, there's something pertinent I wanted to ask you, and I can't believe it just left my mind. Gossamer777, I see your hand up. I see you've been waiting patiently. Why don't you come up, give us your first name and location, and you're live and on the air. Thank you, Joe. Uh, hello, Avis. Um, my name's David, and I'm the Arizona State Director for iCard. You know me in the chat room as uh, Gossamer. Um, I was able to watch this, the DVD of yours uh, with my wife, Dee, and I was curious. Uh, uh, Betty mentioned in there that after their abduction, the area where they were living kind of became a UFO sighting hotspot, even for landings. Uh, she said that a lot of the people in the town witnessed uh, had sightings of their own, and, you know, things like UFO was landing in somebody's field and other people saw this. I was just curious, has anybody ever, else ever come forward uh, to, you know, validate that part of her story? Or, you know, has anybody else ever been interviewed on that? Thank you. <clears throat> well, I'm, I'm assuming much here, but I think that the book that I spoke about with uh, Kathy Martin, which is uh, Betty's uh, niece, and um, Mr. Friedman, um, is going to bring a lot of this out <clears throat> because I told you Betty was a a, a great uh, record keeper, and even though she held back much and uh, kept people's names, she certainly didn't put out people's names. I think in this book that's going to happen. That would be nice to see. Um, well, it's kind of nice to see Stanton getting involved in this. Um, now I'm gonna have to call him up and harass him, getting back on the show and making. Give me some detail. <laughs> uh, that's one of the nice things about being able to torture him like that. Well, he was a good friend of Betty's for years and years. Oh, I know, I know. We've we've actually talked about Betty before. I've talked to Stanton. I've interviewed Stanton about eight times now, and um, on about three different occasions, we've actually talked about Betty. And uh, I asked him point blank. I said, "What do you think about the case? What do you think it is going on? I mean, do you think it was aliens? Do you think it was something else?" And he said, well, I have no doubt that, you know, whatever she thinks happened to her is what she thinks happened to her. So we were in agreement with that. We both were kind of on the edge of what it actually it was. And um, it's just because we know back then, you know, in the 50s and 60s, that the military were doing things 
to people and stuff that they still haven't released even today. So it always makes us very skeptical uh, about stuff like that. They were trying out new mind-controlled drugs at the time. They were trying out all kind of host of new things. And um, so we're real skeptical. And it's not just betting upon him. It's any cases coming out of this era. We're just really kind of skeptical about it. Uh, through the, you know, the late 50s and early 60s, we really tried a lot of new stuff out. And a lot of it we tried out on the general public in covert ways. It's from anything from air vaccines to different types of medical procedures uh, to several other things besides that that turned out to be not so nice like the Love Canal and things like that. So the, the, the thing about it is, is, you know, we just we got to be careful because we know that our government doesn't always tell us the truth. And we know sometimes they do things under the disguise of extraterrestrials, and we've known that for several years now. We've caught them in the act in more than one occasion. Um, you know, because for the government, this is the best cover-up in the world, let's be honest. You know, oh, well, I was picked up by an alien or a spaceship. Nay, ain't nobody going to believe you. If you ever, even if you go mainstream, nobody's going to ever believe you. They're going to be looking at you like, yeah, okay, whatever. And, uh, you know, and that, that's just the hard part about it. So we've got to be a little skeptical about it. But let me ask you this, Avis. Why do you think, because there was other contactees at the time. I mean, other people had been abducted prior to Betty and Barney Hill. Why do you think they got more press than everybody else did? That is hard to say. And um, I don't even think that Betty, because they were absolutely flabbergasted um, how the public reacted to this. I mean, they were on every talk show. They were on the front covers of Look and Life magazine. <clears throat> They were invited to speak everywhere. Uh, she never uh, really understood, um, unless part of it was that they were an interracial couple, which um, might have interested people. Yeah, that's that's that, it's a tough one. I know, and the reason I asked, I was just hoping because I've asked this to several people, and I'm curious. It's a hard one. And that's the only answer I could ever personally come up with is because it was a mixed couple back in 1961. The news said, oh, look at this. we got an alien abduction, black and white. Check it out. And, and that's the only thing I can think of. Uh, uh, the only other thing I can think of is uh, prior to Betty, there were uh, a lot of people. Uh, had, um, I don't think they like to be called abductees. I think they were contactees. And they were seeing uh, tall Nordics. <clears throat> and they were giving, the Nordics were giving um, all this wonderful advice to them, and it was uh, sort of a deal made between the two of them, and it was kind of fluffy and lovely. And um, the aliens that Betty and Barney met up with certainly were not Nordic at all, and they were, <clears throat> I think there was a, a little bit of uh, fear associated with that, and so I think that piqued uh, people's interest, too, simply because the aliens they came forward with were quite different than the contactees. Well, you know, and, and that's possible, too, because they were quite different. Uh, and the accounts were, you know, there was Billy Myers' accounts. It's what I was after. But, uh, yeah, I agree. A lot of the accounts that were nice, fluffy, sweet, kind, lovable aliens, uh, you know, in, in which always, that makes me more skeptical than anything. Ladies and gentlemen, by the way, uh, if you're tuning into the show via the virtual auditorium, we are now maxed out in the virtual auditorium. So 
You can always join us. Uh, you can pick us up on Live 365, look for Stardust Radio, and there we are. It's quite easy. Uh, but the virtual auditorium is maxed out at this point. Um, if any seats come up, I'll be sure to let y'all know. Uh, you know, it's kind of, see, you, you go into a full house tonight. They just, you got them maxed out. Uh, that's good. You keep them interested in this case because, you know, these things, you can't let these cases die. Uh, you just can't. You know, you, you have to keep them fresh. You have to keep them alive. You have to keep them going because cases like these are well-documented cases. There's a lot of people who have investigated. Yes, there's mixed views on the case. But we all do agree that they were abducted. Regardless who abducted them, they were abducted. And, uh, you know, so it's a good, solid case for people to look at an abduction. So it's good to keep it fresh in everyone's mind. And there are some, you know, quirks to the case, like we're talking about, like why they get so much press and stuff like that. But, you know, that's just things that you got to try to understand or try to see. Uh, it is very strange uh, for the time, but maybe we gave two good reasons, so it must have been one of them, too. On that note, ladies and gentlemen, we got to take a break, so I want everyone to please stay tuned to Wake Up USA, a UFO study, a Stardust Radio production, now being broadcasted live in SRN 1690, Riverside, Iowa. I'm your host, Joe Montalva. I'm sitting and speaking with Avis Ruffy, and when we come back, we'll start taking some more questions, so please stay tuned. This Internet station sounds great on your computer, but wouldn't it be even better if you could take it with you wherever you go? Now you can. This station is proud to be affiliated with the Mobile Broadcast Network, brought to you exclusively by XS Voice. They make it possible for you to hear your favorite Internet station anytime, anywhere, on your cell phone. To get connected, go to www.mymbn.com and listen to Internet Radio on the go. What's happening? I'll tell you what. Ken Emmons here. How'd you like to spend a weekend in Branson for only 99 bucks? That's right. You and your family can now relax in Branson for only 99 bucks or take the honey for a quick romantic getaway any weekend you choose. This amazing vacation offer includes three days, two nights, and a great hotel, breakfast every morning of your stay, preferred show tickets, and hundreds of dollars in coupon savings all around town. You know, Branson, Missouri's got amusement parks, world-class golfing, beautiful lakes, endless shopping, and more live shows in Vegas. So give us a call now at 1-866-338-1410. Branson for 99 bucks. It's our way of saying thanks for checking out our beautiful new resort, the Grand Crown. Here's that number again, 1-866-338-1410. Toll free, 1-866-338-1410. Branson for 99 bucks. Is life moving too fast? If you're self-employed or a small business owner, you have no choice but to move as fast as you can. Sometimes you move so fast you don't take a close look at life's details. When was the last time you looked at your health insurance? If you don't have health insurance or if you have the wrong coverage, serious medical bills could mount up. That's where the Mega Life and Health Insurance Company comes in. We provide affordable health insurance for the self-employed and small business owners. If you don't have health insurance, call us. If you have coverage, call in. Anyway, see if we can give you better coverage at a better price. Stay on track for affordable health insurance designed specifically for the self-employed and small business owners. Call 877-735-6460. That's 877-735-6460. Home office located in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Not available in all states and benefits may vary by state. Association membership may not be required to obtain insurance. Call 877-735-6460 for details. 
Are you looking for an internet radio station with a unique blend of talk radio and an eclectic musical flavor? Join Stardust Radio today at www.stardustradio.com where talent and technology meet. SRN 1690 AM, Riverside, Iowa, and around the world on the Stardust Radio Network. www.stardustradio.com Good evening and welcome back to Wake Up USA, a UFO study, a Stardust Radio production. Now being broadcasted live in SRN 1690, Riverside, Iowa. Ladies and gentlemen, we're down to about the last 27 minutes. Remember, you can call us at 1-877-213-4329. Again, 1-877-213-4329. Avis Ruffy's with us tonight. She's doing a great job on Betty and Barney Hill. I hope you all are enjoying the show because uh, now she's actually got me flip-flopping and, and, and going in two different directions, which we'll discuss later this evening. But uh, it's been very interesting. I mean, I've been enjoying myself immensely, and I think we're going to get one more quick question in, maybe two, because I know we're getting loaded. There's a couple more questions I have for us. So, Avis, you ready for some more questions? Sure. Let's see who we got up next. Kevin284, why don't you come up and tell us where you're from, because I'm assuming Kevin's your first name, and ask us your question. Well, it's Art (laughs) from Washington State. Did they ever tell... Oh, I'm glad uh, you're on as a guest. You're very, it's very interesting listening to you. They showed Barney Hill and uh, Betty the planet they came from. And uh, did they ever tell them that they had motherships out there? Or were they just used to be, like, experimented on here on planet Earth? Okay. I'm confused. I hope you understood that, Avis. <laughs> I missed part of it, but um, when uh, Betty was in the spaceship, there was some sort of screen up, and she was um, walking around with the leader, and she looked at this uh, particular screen that had uh, what appeared to be stars and uh, lines running, and she asked him, uh, what is that? And he told her that it, w- it was a um, map of uh, trade routes and um, uh, exploration routes. And Betty said, um, well, where are you from? And the leader said to her, well, show me where you are on the map. And, of course, she said, I don't know. And then he said, it would be of no use to you for me to show you uh, where we were from. The aliens gave Betty little to no information about anything about them, nothing. The leader did give her a book. There was a book that she picked up, and she said as best she can describe it, the book was filled with computer symbols. Uh, And she said, you know, can I have this? And he said yes. And then the little one that she speaks of often, the one that was um, most vocal out of all of them, uh, was uh, raising a rumpus. And finally the uh, leader came and took the book from Betty and said, uh, you can't have this and um, hopefully you won't remember any of this. So I hope I've answered that question. And they, she felt that they were explorers. Uh, I think that was part of this question, that they were explorers and they were here doing what we would do if we had the ability to be out in space. Well, they were ex- examining humans, 
when they uh, examined Betty and Barney, uh, they took uh, scrapings of the skin, fingernails, hair. Uh, one incident that gave me a case of the giggles is Betty was put into one room and Barney was taken to another room. And while she was on the table, uh, one of the examiners uh, came into her room and uh, was uh, very excited, and he had uh, Barney's teeth in his hand, which she couldn't see at that point. But they were making some kind of commotion, and then they went to her, and they tried to pull on her teeth. And Betty had her own natural teeth at that time, and they were pulling and pulling, and finally the... Um, the examiner asked and showed her Barney's teeth, and he could not understand um, why, what Paul's teeth were, why his came out, and why hers didn't come out. <laughs> I always thought that was so bizarre, and it actually made the case even more real to me because, I mean, if you were going to invent something, who would put something that bizarre in there? I don't know if it is. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sorry. It's funny. I had to mean to interrupt you, but it's funny. Uh, oh, I know we do have a caller in the queue, so let's grab this one right quick. We have Victoria from Illinois. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can. Ah, you got a question for Avis tonight? Yes, I do. All right, go ahead. Um, it's, you were very good friends with Betty, and she confined a lot in, in you. Um, I was wondering, um, after she... Um, Betty and Barney um, revealed everything. Um, did they have any regrets? Um, it being kind of very taboo, um, the whole alien abduction, having sightings. And even today, people are scrutinized for coming out saying they saw flying saucers, being abducted. Um, did they ever regret coming forward and the scrutiny? And, and actually, um, what... What um, brought them forward to um, revealing their experience? Um, did she ever tell you what led them to uh, coming forward and telling their story over and over and over again? Uh, yes. Uh, they, she and Barney had gone to uh, the Unitarian Church, and um, they were talking with some people because, like I said, they knew quite a bit of what happened to them without the hypnosis. And they were talking about it, and a military man was at this uh, particular gathering, and he was in Boston for some event, and he mentioned it to somebody, that hap that person happened to be a newspaper reporter. And this newspaper reporter uh, started sniffing around Portsmouth and um, investigating Betty and Barney and, and uh, talking to people. And the next thing they knew, I think, I think I'm accurate in saying the Boston Globe ran an article on them five days in a row, front page headlines. If anybody has the, the time, uh, they, I'm sure they could go to the Boston Globe and they could uh, get get these uh, get the articles that were printed. But um, it appeared to Betty and Barney. Uh, and to Dr. Simon, who was the uh, hypnotist at the time, that this uh, individual was getting ready to write a book about this incident, and Betty was of the mind that he's not going to take my story and put his spin on it. And so there was somewhat of a rush to get the story in publication because Betty felt 
uh, if anybody's going to tell this story, it's going to be Barney and I. And so that's how the book um, came forward. That's interesting in itself. I, you know, I, the more I talk about this, the more I want to talk about it, but I'm not going to hog up because I know we've got uh, people with their hands up in the queue. So who we got up next? Uh, Silent Word. Why don't you come up, give me your first name and location, and you're live and on the air. Thank you. Uh, my name is William. I'm from North Carolina. Uh, my, my question is, did they ever describe what the craft, did they ever see the craft or describe what it looked like? Yes. Uh, it was a very uh, uh, large craft. Um, it was circular, and it seemed to have a center uh, to it, and then there were pie-shaped rooms of uh, varying um, dimensions around the craft and uh, the front portion of the craft had a large uh, set I believe two rows of windows and the window when they were walking up to the craft uh, the windows were facing into the woods so they went up the ramp into the back part Wait, 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 back if I miss something, I miss something, I miss something. They, didn't they give a description of the outer part of the ship? What was that again, please? Didn't they give a description? I thought I remember them saying something about windows or something on the ship. Yes, when there were windows on the ship. There were quite a few of them. But when the ship had landed, when they were walking up to it, the windows were facing out into the wooded area, which was lining up the, the ship somewhat in the back. But they entered the ship on a ramp, uh, and the ramp was already down when they uh, started to walk up there. So she didn't uh, see mechanically anything going on. It was already down. Um, and the, the ship was uh, circular. Yeah, okay. I, I, just, I must have just missed something there. Um, oh, did, what, did they give a description on the color? Um, I, uh, truthfully, I can't recall. I'm sure she did, but I can't recall. Okay, I was, because, uh, I, I, you know, I thought I remembered hearing it, somebody saying something black, but, I, you know, I hear so many cases, I don't want to swear about that because it might have been something entirely different, so um, I'll have to go read or look it up somewhere. I, I know somewhere I remember hearing a color, I just don't remember what it was. Who we got up next? Wisdom Man. Wisdom Man, why don't you come up, give us your first name and location, and you're live and on the air with Avis Ruffy. My name is Yahya, and I'm from Kuwait, uh, far away from the United States. And I was listening. Uh, thanks, Joe. Uh, uh, I was listening to the to the story. Well, honestly, when I judge this story, I don't buy this story because of facts. I mean, let's go back to Travis Walton's story. He had six witnesses. He said he was telling his story in an honest way. Also. There is something that he mentioned while he was uh, in, that, uh, in that saucer. He, uh, he was breathing a heavy air, he said. Why did not they mention the same thing? 
How do you explain that the both stories or the both descriptions of the aliens were not identical? I mean, they were smiling. He said he had no communication, at least no telepathy. They smiled, they talked, uh, while uh, the, the, the woman said she, uh, they were talking to her. Her husband said another story that they were communicating in, in a way of telepathy. How would you explain that they had different story? Why do why I feel the honesty when, when Travis Walton interviews or I do listen to Travis Walton sometimes, I feel his honesty and, and, and telling his story. How do you explain that? Well, I think there are many different ships, and Betty did also, having photographed at least 200 different types of ships. Uh, it's pretty well known in ufology that there are many different types of beings and that stands to, to reason with the universe being so big and I imagine each set of beings has their own personality and their own agenda and um, Betty uh, did not have um, four witnesses but uh, she and uh, Barney um, believed this is what happened to them. I believe this is what happened to them. Uh, Betty, at uh, one point, was flown out to uh, Hollywood. Effley Bailey, who was a lawyer at that time, had a TV program called Lie Detector. And he had a uh, fellow, his name was Ed Galt, I believe, that was doing the testing. He was on TV for two nights in a row, uh, hooked up and they ran a lie detector test on her and they asked her three questions. Is it true that the information you received about your star map was given to you on a UFO in the White Mountains of New Hampshire? Number two, did you have any prior knowledge of this pattern of the star system? And three, is this a hoax in any way? Betty received very high ratings for truthfulness. This program was shown nationwide in two segments and she always wondered and thought it was strange that no one from the whole UFO field ever mentioned seeing this or bringing it up to her at any time. But I'm sure somewhere archived is the uh, programs with Effley Bailey and her doing this show. You know, listen, you got a rebut? Oh, wait, okay. You got a follow-up? Well, come on back up. Uh... You can come back up and have the mic. Go ahead and ask Avis your question. Uh-huh. Yeah, we'll give him a couple of seconds to queue up. Since I've just seen his hand go up like that. I don't know, ladies and gentlemen, I must be experiencing a little weird lag tonight. Uh, I don't know what's up with that. Uh, okay, uh, we lost him for some reason. Another wisdom, if you got to follow up, man, put your hand back up. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Put your hand back up, and I'll give you the mic. Go ahead. Uh, when you get your hand up, I'll, I'll cue you up the mic. Okay, you ready? Wisdom, come on and do your follow-up question. Okay, uh, uh, there is something that I want to say. Uh, it's just not like a question, but something that I have in my opinion that, uh, in fact, I do believe uh, most uh, Travis Walton's story because he had witnesses and so forth, the way he was describing the ship, the heavy air he breathed, and so forth. We do have brains, we, do have, we are wise people at least, 
intelligent, we have to compare every story to Travis Walter's story because in fact he was the only one who at least had witnesses. So there's a possibility those people were made in lies, for example. At least we have to compare whether to see if his descriptions to the aliens were identical to Travis Walton's aliens or not. That would that that the thing would I do about this case or all other cases. So uh, could you just give me an answer whether if we could compare to see if other stories are identical to Travis Walton's story or not? Uh, I don't think there's any two stories that are identical, but I think there are markers along the way that you can follow. Uh, Betty uh, and Barney were sprayed uh, with something. It was uh, a pink powdery substance. And um, Barney's clothes, they felt terribly dirty when they got home and they jumped in the shower and his clothes was put in the hamper that was uh, going out to um, be cleaned. And uh, Betty had just worn her dress once. And so she noticed there was a pink powder all over it. So she hung it up on the clothesline at her home. And the pink powder uh, blew off the dress, but it also stained the dress badly. And over the years, uh, uh, people would come in and take little clippings of this dress to have it analyzed and uh, every year that I would see the thing there would be less and less of the dress and um, I had asked her um, had she gotten anything back on it and uh, nobody up to that point could tell her what that residue was on her dress so um, they use something she thinks it was something either to protect them from the the germs that they might have had or vice versa. She wasn't sure. They never gave her an explanation. But uh, Travis Walton is a very strong case. And I know that, I believe that Betty uh, spoke with Travis. I think they, they spoke to one another. And she absolutely believed in uh, what Travis Walton had to say. And if people um, can't believe it, um, what happened to Betty and Barney, um, that's okay. That's okay. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. Everybody's just trying to figure it out the best way we can. And that's really all you can do. Let's see who we got up next in the queue. Cop 43411. Well, that's interesting. Why don't you come up, give us your first name and location, and you're live and on the air with Avis Ruffy. Yeah, thank you. My name's Bud from New Jersey. Was there any evidence on the vehicle itself? Did they do any uh, examination on the car, take it apart? And also I have a statement on that. The same year that was happening, Area 51 out west was launching the Blackbird, uh fastest jet through the Air Force. And a lot of times it was going across the United States with all the lights on, and people thought it was a UFO also. Okay, back to you. Thank you. Ah, good question, Tom. Go ahead, uh, Avis. Uh, yes. Uh, when they woke up um, in the afternoon, they slept in light, uh, they went out to the car, and there was some particular and peculiar marks on the uh, trunk of the car. I believe there were four or five of them, about 
a half a dollar in size, and Betty took a compass, and the compass would swing wildly. The rest of the car seemed to be unscathed, but there were some markings on the car, and um, they were there for quite a while. It, it uh, affected the paint on the car. Uh, after a while, the... Um, Whatever was going on uh, dissipated. Uh, you could take a magnet to it. But Betty uh, knew a police officer. And um, <clears throat> what people don't realize is Betty contacted Tisa Air Force Base the next day. Uh, she, she contacted this police officer. He came over and investigated the car with her. Uh, so there was something that happened to the trunk of the car. Um, who's, you don't know who's got the pictures. I, I know somebody had told me they had taken pictures of the car, the dress, and some other stuff, and I just was curious if you might know who might have had those. Yes, Betty had them. Yeah, but I mean, since she passed, uh, what, they went to the kids or something? No, they went to the University of New Hampshire, has all of her things archived. Oh, well, cool. I didn't know that either. <laughs> I'm glad you told me that. Now I get to go be nosy. Uh, we got a few friends up there. They'll definitely have to be nosy. Um, it, it, it's kind of strange, you know, when you're talking about this case because, you know, you brought a lot of new light into the case tonight, which is good because I haven't heard any new light come into this case in 15, 20 years, uh, maybe longer than that. And uh, so you probably just breathed new life into this case for a lot of people tonight, Avis. I want to thank you for doing that. Uh, I have a lot more people out doing their own homework and their own research, which is at least what part of this is about. Uh, you know, that's one of the things is, is making people understand that they have to do their own research, that they can sit here and listen to me, you, me and you all night long, and they can come to all kind of conclusions. But really, they're not going to believe either one of us until they actually go out and do their own homework, are they? Um, but, I mean, I mean, for you, I mean, uh, did you have a particular draw to Betty? What was that again, please? Did you have, like, a particular draw? I mean, what what actually drew you to Betty Hill? Uh, actually, her sense of humor. Okay, now, wait, now, how did you first meet her again? Uh, I, I saw her around town, and I believe I saw her at a meeting uh, one time, but there was such a pile of people around her that I couldn't even get near to her. But um, I had owned a shop in uh, Portsmouth where she lived, and Betty would go shopping, and I had dash hounds. And so... I think the dash hounds uh, brought her over, and she would sit and talk with me. Well that's, well, that's interesting. You know, I imagine for her it must have been much nicer having you as a friend, and she could just talk about this when she wanted to, not being, you know, harassed and asked about it. Because I know for a lot of the contactees and abductees that I've worked long-term with, um, they'll usually just call me now, or they'll stop by, or they'll send me an email, whatever. But, you know, they're talking to me on their own terms, giving me the information when they want to, and it seems to work much better that way because uh, they feel more relaxed. It seems to be easier on them, and you seem to learn a lot more that way. I don't know if that was true for you or not, but it seems for me, in a, in a overall majority of my cases, it's like that. Well, it's it's funny. Betty and I, uh, I don't want to say rarely, but uh, most of the time we talked about local politics and uh, our heritage. I grew up as a, ch a child around where she did, so that's mostly what we talked about. Yeah, well, you see, that's what I'm saying. So when she talked about anything else with you, she was probably much more relaxed to talk about it. Uh, she probably just felt more secure with talking with you about it. Uh, I, you know, because I notice it, with, when it comes to talking about this subject, 
trust is paramount, uh, especially amongst investigators and experiencers. Uh, there has to be some kind of trust there. You know, uh, friendship is a good thing, and they need to know that you're not going to go out and run your mouth all over creation unless they ask you to or say it's okay. And, um, it's it's just nice, you know. It's it's nice. I I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure with Betty, you knew she she must she must have trusted you immensely because I know you did the video with her. You spent a lot of time with her, so that's a good thing. Uh, she just seems like a really nice place. It's a shame when they get to meet her. Um, it is. They got a place where they can email you if they want to get hold to you, talk about this or anything. Sure, they can uh, reach me at R R A R eight nine nine seven at AOL. I love that R R. <laughs> Sorry, ladies and gentlemen. That is a, a chat name. We have an online support group, which we'll probably be going to after this show and chatting over there tonight. But uh, it's kind of interesting. Uh, I do. I just like that R R. <laughs> Uh, can you repeat it? Somebody asked me if you could repeat the address for them. R-R-A-R-8997 at AOL. Okay. Anyways, I want to tell you, you did a great job tonight. I really enjoyed it. You got me thinking about a lot of different things, uh, which is nice. I like when someone can freshen up a case like that. Because i got to be honest, I talk about a lot of cases, and most of them I want to just kind of fall asleep. <laughs> uh, you know, some of them you're kind of like, oh, why are we talking about this? Uh, but see, Betty and Barney Hill for me ranks up there with Shag Harbor, so I really want to get this case uh, as legitimized as much as possible um, in today's people's eyes. You know, people like me and you know about it, but we're a little bit older, and there's got a lot of young people coming up, and uh, these are things that they really need to know and really understand. And, you know, we've got a good audience, so uh, a lot of these people are young. It's something they may actually check into for themselves, maybe write to R, say, hey, what you know about this? Can you give me some info? <laughs> things like that. Uh, and... Thanks to you, Avis. I'm going to definitely be harassing Stanton Friedman now, uh, just so you know that. And I'm going to blame it on you, but that's okay. He won't mind. Stanton's a good old guy. Uh, again, I want to tell you thanks for being on. You did a fantastic job. Ladies and gentlemen, everybody tells Avis thanks for being on tonight. Um, next week, Linda Moulton Howe. Uh, you know how much I love to irritate Linda Moulton Howe when we start talking about cattle mutilations, ladies and gentlemen. You know that. We do not agree on cattle mutilations, and we will probably get back into the middle of this subject <laughs> next time she's on the show. Uh, I'm sorry. I don't think aliens are abducting cows and cutting them into pieces. I'm sorry. It's just my own point of view, okay? That's <laughs> just how it is. Again, ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank everyone for listening. Yeah, you have a radio production. Now being broadcasted live in SRN 1690, Riverside, Iowa. I'm your host, Joe Montalo. I want to tell you, thank Avis Refuge for being on again tonight. And until next week, everyone have a good life. If you would like to continue this discussion after the show, join us in ICAR's Pal Talk chat room, UFO, Alien Phenomenon, under the Social Issues category. This Internet station sounds great on your computer, but wouldn't it be even better if you could take it with you wherever you go? Now you can. This station is proud to be affiliated with the Mobile Broadcast Network, brought to you exclusively by XS Voice. They make it possible for you to hear your favorite Internet station anytime, anywhere, on your cell phone. To get connected, go to www.mymbn.com and listen to Internet radio on the go. 
What's happening? I'll tell you what. Ken Emmons here. How would you like to spend a weekend in Branson for only 99 bucks? That's right. You and your family can now relax in Branson for only 99 bucks, or take the honey for a quick romantic getaway any weekend you choose. This amazing vacation offer includes three days, two nights, and a great hotel, breakfast every morning of your stay, preferred show tickets, and hundreds of dollars in coupon savings all around town. You know, Branson, Missouri's got amusement parks, world-class golfing, beautiful lakes, endless shopping, and more live shows in Vegas. So give us a call now at 1-866-338-1410. Branson for 99 bucks. It's our way of saying thanks for checking out our beautiful new resort, the Grand Crown. Here's that number again, 1-866-338-1410. Toll free, 1-866-338-1410. Branson for 99 bucks. Riverside, Iowa, and around the world on the Stardust Radio Network. www.stardustradio.